everyone, and welcome to the Courage 365 show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter, and today we are going to be talking with an ex-Jehovah's Witness who has seen a lot of things in that religious movement, and we're going to be talking about uh, the survivors who have come out of the Jehovah's Witness religion and um, ideology here in the U.S., and really they're, they're all over the world, and so our guest isn't even in the U.S., so we're actually pre-recording this one because um, our regular time would be about one o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So um, I just want to introduce to you today, um, his name is Lloyd Evans, and he is an expert on the area of people coming out of the Jehovah's Witness movement. And uh, so yeah, without further ado, um, Lloyd, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Ashley. Thanks for having me. And what time is it there for you now? It is 10 past 8 in the evening here in Croatia. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> making time late into your evening uh, for us. It's much earlier where I'm recording. But yeah, really honored to have you on the show today to hear your wisdom. And uh, before we jump in, I'm just going to read your bio really quick. And then I'm going to ask you to kind of talk about... Um, like from your version of the story of where you kind of came from, what your background is and what you're doing now, but just so everybody can kind of know a little bit about you. Um, So Lloyd Evans is an ex-Jehovah's Witness author, activist, and filmmaker. Uh, He has authored two books on his former religion, namely How to Escape from Jehovah's Witnesses and The Reluctant Apostate, Leaving Jehovah's Witnesses um, Comes at a Price. Um, also, Lloyd's John Cedar YouTube channel has over 70,000 subscribers and features a range of videos exposing some of the more dangerous and abusive elements of Jehovah's Witnesses, policies, and ideologies. And I don't know, it was probably about a year and a half ago, I was able to come on to your YouTube channel, and that was such a great experience. So thanks for returning the favor, but you have a great show. How did how did that all begin for you? Like, what made you decide, I need to have a YouTube channel? Like, what's your backstory? And tell us more about what you're doing now. Well, I began more as a writer. So uh-huh. I started out, once I'd woken up to the reality of my situation that I spent most of my uh, upbringing in a cult, basically. Mm. Uh, I started doing research to find out how I'd been lied to, and I gradually shared bits and pieces of that information on forums and that kind of thing. And it kind of progressed onto blogging. So I set up JW Survey in 2011 and started blogging on there. And um, actually, it was my co-founder of JW Survey. It was there was one particular story involving child abuse. Actually, it was mm. the Candace Conti lawsuit in 2012. Um, and my colleague at the time, John Hoyle, said uh, there isn't really much on YouTube, Lloyd. Maybe you should do a YouTube video to explain right. what's happening. And at the time, I was still incognito. I couldn't show my face uh, mm. online because. I knew I would be shunned by my family if that happened. So yeah. I wrote I wrote a script and I got someone else to narrate it. Mm. And I put this video up on YouTube in 2012. And it's just basically progressed from there, really, wow. to me showing myself uh, on YouTube and outing myself and getting shunned and allowing my audience to follow along with my story. 
Wow. Wow. So how many years were you in the Jehovah's Witness religion? Do you call it like a, a religion? I know you use the term cult. Like, how would you prefer me to phrase that in this conversation? I kind of, I guess you could use those words interchangeably. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's really up to you. But yeah, it was about 23 years from baptism wow. to leaving. Yeah. Right. And is your family still in there? Yes, my father is still a Jehovah's Witness elder. He's obviously shunning me and my family. He hasn't mm. met his two grandchildren, my two wow. daughters. So, yeah. That's really heartbreaking. I know that that um, rings really true with my um, experience and in independent fundamentalist Baptist community, um, where for me it was more of like having a line in the sand moment where it was like, you either need to support who I'm becoming and me telling the truth of my experience or, you know, it's not going to be safe to continue a relationship with people who do not admit to, at least publicly, you know, all the, the horrible things that have happened. And um, so I know that can be just a really devastating and challenging thing to um, be separated from family because I think that we're really ingrained you know that's just like a human thing to want to stay with family so what was that what was that tipping point for you that caused you to be like you know what not only do i need to leave but i also need to go public and i understand that i could be shunned for that well i was ready to go public probably much earlier than i did go public but mm. it's not quite that simple when you're in a marriage you've got to obviously right. do things with your spouse um, as part of that decision-making process. Yeah. And and what really tipped the scales eventually was the fact that we were expecting our first child. Mm. And so we faced the prospect of, well, if we stay in the religion, uh, even if it's just, um, on they call it inactive, where you're just not going okay. to the meetings anymore, but you're not necessarily speaking out against the religion. Right. Um, our fear was, and it was a very justified fear, that our family would... Uh, take it upon themselves to indoctrinate our child. They would mm. basically say, "Well, we're doing what you're, what you should be doing, because right. you're still technically Jehovah's Witnesses." Yeah. So we thought, no, we like you say, we need to draw a line in the sand here, and mm. we we need to make sure that this doesn't become a multi generational thing where our daughter ends up getting roped into the same thing. We need yeah. to do this for her, really. So we actually, uh, her name is Jessica Liberty. Evans mm. so we, we put liberty in Beautiful, her name yeah. as, a, as a reminder of the decision we took for her really wow yeah. wow that's really beautiful and I think there's so many reasons people decide to leave um but leaving so it's not being passed on generationally that's just such a beautiful thing um were there it, it sounds like you know even before you decided to like officially do that like there were things that um, caused you concern um, that drew you like, ah, I don't know if this feels right anymore. I'm going to go inactive. Like what were some of those things that came up for you that caused you to be like, I'm not sure if this is for me anymore when you had that for 23 years of your life? I was concerned about the shunning, uh, but speaking for myself personally, I mean, everyone has their own doubts probably or the or things that will create the most problems for them yeah. and the way the organization responds is to say well you need to wait on jehovah you need to basically mm -hmm. bury your doubts 
and and hope that one day everything gets resolved and of course it never does yeah yeah my own case uh there were just teachings basically that didn't make Mm -hmm. sense uh, going all the way back to when I was maybe 19 or 20 um and I knew they didn't make sense but I just kind of buried all of that and it wasn't until I moved to Croatia with my wife uh, all of a sudden there was the language barrier and not not understanding this barrage of indoctrination that we were receiving yeah. at our weekly meetings. And that just kind of gave me the space to think, you know, what do I believe? Never mind mm-hmm. what all these people are telling me I should yeah. believe. What do I actually believe? Right. And uh, then all of these doubts from years ago came to the surface and I actually found I was able to, uh, actually, I, I kind of... Uh, avoided going to one of the meetings I was sort of ill but I could have really gone it's one of those things where you think no I'm gonna stay home I sat down at a table and I wrote down I thought I'm gonna write down a list of everything I don't agree with and I managed to come up with nine things and I thought not all of them were huge things but they were big enough for me to write them down and at the end of that process it was kind of like well I've literally been able to write down a whole bunch of stuff that I don't agree with. Clearly, mm. I'm I'm only a Jehovah's Witness in name only. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I I feel like for for me leaving a very cult like environment, it was there was a set of beliefs, you know, namely patriarchy, that I started realizing like this doesn't make sense. Like, why would women not be able to be treated as equals? And you know, if that really has bad repercussions repercussions on the world like would a loving god really say that and then that led into like other questions and um it kind of felt like you know those jenga towers where you pull out one piece and it kind of collapses like everything starts to sort of fall apart when you really sit with those questions which makes me think that that's like the reason questions are frowned upon um because they really don't want us to <laughs> kind of start feeling that cognitive dissonance <laughs> that's going on. Well, yeah. you can have the questions as long as you accept their answers. That's, that's all it works for. That's a good for point. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, if you have questions, go to their publications and right. there you will find right. the answers. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm seeing in your work that you're doing, like you, you're doing your YouTube videos, you're writing, you've been on Leah Remini's documentary, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I'm also seeing you pop up in the news uh, a little bit. And you've recently had an article um, where you were quoted in MSN News. And um, I just like to read a quote there for a second, because I think this is like a segue into some of the other things that you're exposing. So it's not just some random doctrines that don't resonate with you. Like there's actually some real harm going on behind the scenes in a lot of these communities. Um, So I'm just going to read this quote and says, um, this Jehovah's Witness group, um, feels they are answerable only to God. They don't feel as though they need to yield to any regulations that are imposed upon them. And the whole article, that quote was set in talking about child abuse and abuse in general and how so many times the elders try to handle that in-house instead of taking it to the police. Can you expound on like that issue that you're seeing in the religion and like how common 
is that? Is that just like a few leaders or a few um, select, you know, buildings and, you know, communities within the whole religion? Or is this prevalent? You know, talk to us about that. This is a, an institutional systemic problem within mm. Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, if you try comparing it with the Catholic uh, Church scandal, yeah. uh, as I understand it, the Catholic Church scandal was more about priests uh, yeah. who were using their power and authority to prey upon mm -hmm. children. And rather than being um, handed over to law enforcement, they were just basically being recirculated to yeah. Yeah. Uh, other parishes. It's not really like that at all for Jehovah's mm, Witnesses. Interesting. It's more, it's more about uh, the lay members as well as the, okay. Uh, okay. the, the organizational members. So it's mm. not just elders and ministerial servants. It's everyone. Wow. When the organization comes to hear of an accusation of child abuse, they, as a policy, will not automatically forward that to law enforcement. Mm. So, but they do keep very fastidious records on all abuse allegations. Wow. And what that creates is effectively a secret database of mm. thousands of perpetrators of abuse, wow. the majority of whom haven't been reported to the authorities. That's mm. happening in every country. It's happening in the United States and all over the world because there's a uniformity of policy. Mm. And in the UK, there's recently been uh, an independent inquiry into child sexual abuse. Mm. So I, along with other core participants to the inquiry, have been trying to highlight mm. that this is an unacceptable way of dealing with yeah, abuse. Yeah. And, and also many of the ways that abuse victims are treated, in other words, the way they're shunned in many cases, right. um, the way they are, for example, required to forgive their abuser mm. uh, who is considered repentant uh, or, or can be considered repentant. There's, right. there's all sorts of dangerous ways in which uh, abuse is basically allowed to proliferate. The organization yeah. obviously condemns pedophilia and condemns child sexual abuse but when it comes to its policies yeah its policies yeah. actually allow this abuse to proliferate right and that that sounds so similar to you know i do a lot of work in the southern baptist convention and um some in the independent fundamentalist baptist community which is a little bit harder to track there's been some articles on it with hundreds of victims and stuff but um because the independent baptist churches are less structured, <laughs> it's harder to track them. But with the Southern Baptist Convention, um, you're right, there are the leaders at the top who are abusing and covering up abuse. But then when you go in deeper, you see that there are people in the community that are also abusing. And then it's very natural for a victim to want to go to their pastor because they're told, you know, this church leader, this elder, this person is here to protect your soul and to, you know, give you spiritual guidance. And so there's so much weight put into that conversation. And then when they're not referred out to professionals, it's really devastating. Um, yeah. and the so more insular people, the group is, the easier yes. it is for abuse to be covered up. Because if Absolutely. you believe that you are God's one and only chosen few, yeah. and uh, Satan's world is is depraved and doomed. Why would yes. you go to the cops? You're obviously right. going to go to your religious leader or your elder right. uh, before you go to any of that. So Yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about that secret database too, because um, there's rumored to be a database in the Southern Baptist Convention similar to that. 
Um, there's definitely a lot of data going all the way back to the 11th century in the Catholic Church um, about you know abuse and cover-ups and those types of things. Um, in your activism work, like what can we do to try to get these documents uh, exposed? Like, is does the church have a legal, you know, way of keeping those things private? Like, do they use the seal of the confessional, or like, what kind of laws are prohibiting those lists from just going public and really being addressed? On a case-by-case basis, it depends on what the local state laws say. Gotcha. Uh, usually, there is mandatory, or in many states there will be mandatory reporting but in a lot of the states where there is mandatory reporting it's tangled up with uh, clergy penitent privilege right. so that if a church can argue that this is part of their religious practices right um, then they can sometimes as happened recently in Montana they can sometimes get the case overturned uh, when it comes to an organization's right to mm-hmm. harvest data on crim- on criminal offenses and not hand that over to the authorities on yeah. a scale of potentially thousands, uh, I, w- I would question the legality of that. And in fact, uh, last year, Watchtower petitioned the United States Supreme Court for their for what they perceive to be their right to keep intrafaith communications related to mm-hmm. child sexual abuse secret. Right. Uh, fortunately, they were unsuccessful in their petition right. because this would have set a very dangerous precedent for other religions. Yeah. Um, my question is, why isn't the FBI banging down the door? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you have any other uh, nationwide or indeed international organization that literally right. says in its policy manuals, we keep this data. We we right. record information on people abusing children, and we don't necessarily help pass it on to the police. Yeah. If you're a responsible law enforcement agency, you're banging down the door and you're getting that information. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're living at the wrong point in history mm. where child sex abuse just isn't taken seriously enough yet. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you're saying there and, you know, working with um, SNAP, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests and the Catholic Church and stuff, it's been shocking to me how many laws do not support survivors of abuse, even children survivors of sexual abuse, because the lobbying from religious groups um, they're the ones who are paying money. They're the ones who are, you know, lobbying to keep these dangerous policies in place. And um, you you wouldn't expect that if you're just like a churchgoer who's like, oh yeah, everything's good. You know, my pastor, my elder, cool person. Um, but when you look at these institutions as a whole, not only is there the direct impact to the victims in their care, but these are laws that will take years to change and impacts, you know, in a ripple effect, uh, victims, you know, to come and victims that aren't even abused in religious communities. Sometimes the things that they're lobbying for affect survivors as a whole. And um, it's just really, um, it's eye opening. And I think when I started realizing that organization within religion, to suppress information about victims and not get them help that really caused me to do a lot of questioning um a lot of deconstructing of my beliefs um so yeah thank you for 
for sharing about that. I'd also like to ask you about, okay, first off, what was it like working with Leah Remney in this uh, documentary? She did a special episode. She'd been working on Scientology and the aftermath stuff, which I watched that religiously, <laughs> pun intended. Um, but then she did this special episode about Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, what was it like working with that group of people? And um, what was that experience for you? Oh, it was right up there in terms of the most enjoyable experiences of my activism career um mm. i mean it doesn't get much better as an activist yeah than going on primetime television uh, yeah. with a star like <laughs> leah remini to tell your story i mean right. it doesn't get better than that so yeah i mean leah is just a, such a sweet person mm. um you obviously go into this with a few preconceptions about what Hollywood stars will be like right, and how right. you assume they're going to be quite spoiled and inaccessible um, yeah. and a little bit indifferent. They're, they're kind of putting on a, a pretense to, to care about it when really they right. don't. But uh, all of those uh, ideas were, were blown away when I actually mm. met Leah and could see how passionately she cared about this issue and yeah. the issues that she was discussing. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, the, the whole process of being involved on that level of, of TV production as a filmmaker okay. was, was fascinating to see how many people were involved and the production, uh, values and that kind of thing. But yeah, just being able to sit, sit on the sofa and share your story on such a huge platform, yeah. uh, definitely one of the honors of my life. Absolutely. And if people wanted to see that. Um, special is it still available someplace yeah so the the series is discontinued um but you you should be able to still catch uh i think all three seasons of scientology in, in the aftermath and the special on jehovah's witnesses is i think episode zero or something like that uh of season three okay and i think that's on a and e um yeah too. So probably people can go to the A&E website and maybe find that. Um, one thing that I really loved about watching that was not only hearing different individual stories and just seeing the bravery and courage of each individual, but um, it reminded me a little bit about when we started the Courage Conference. And you know, I had talked about abuse and those types of things in the church. And then hundreds of people started reaching out to me saying they've experienced similar things, but they feel alone. And I'm like, you're not alone. So let's do this conference. Um, and then getting in that room finally with all these people who got it, who experienced that. It was like one of the most um, validating healing experiences. And I'm wondering, was there any kind of sense of that when you all were like, whoa everybody in this room gets it kind of thing how how did that how was that for you well i'm i'm not an abuse survivor myself but i can imagine that if you are an abuse survivor one of the worst things is is the feeling that you're being silenced and you're not right. being listened to and you're not being believed so the absolute opposite of that of course is for 20 or so cameras to be trained on you right. and uh, microphones to be pointed in your direction yeah, and yeah. for people to be willing you to tell your story mm -hmm. and and willing uh, to believe what you say so right. and that was exactly the environment that Leah and Mike created on the set right. of uh, the aftermath special so yeah again um, difficult to think of a, a more satisfying 
uh, experience for an activist whose entire job is to try and gain exposure for what he's talking about. Yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. And have you um, have you found from that, like for yourself, I know you said you're not an abuse survivor, but you've left like this very high controlling group. Um, Would you say that meeting other people who've gone through it, has that helped in your healing process and your activism? Like, how is that piece of meeting others who've gone through it? in your you know journey moving forward was that important or was it kind of one of those things where you could lone wolf it and like feel um you know just confident in yourself um or is there a community aspect to kind of healing and feeling the courage to speak out i think for me personally um it was more towards the beginning of my exit from the organization that I kind of needed that feeling of community. And I sought it not necessarily in person, Mm -hmm. but uh, especially because I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere here in Croatia, I was more dependent on forums and Facebook and that kind of thing. Uh, That said, with my activism work, I often fly to different parts. Uh, I've been to America a few times and done book signings and that kind of thing. And it's always extremely satisfying to meet other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, I think it's it's very moving as well to kind of uh, exp- uh, meet people who have benefited in some way or, or right. been moved in some way by by the work I've, I've been able to do. So yeah, uh, yeah it's even though I probably don't need the healing and, cathar- and catharsis quite as much as I did to begin mm-hmm. with, it nevertheless uh, is a is a very healing experience to to meet people who right. share that common experience yeah for sure for sure um from an activist perspective what do you think um would have happened if the internet hadn't been a thing do you think we would move this far in our activism and work or is is that kind of a driving force of uncovering this stuff no way. I, th- I think I think the internet has been a complete game changer. I think particularly when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Watchtower leadership uh, was built for uh, a world in which there is no internet and mm-hmm. where you can print your own information, you can print your own books, and people will believe everything because there's nothing to challenge it. Right. Um, the organization is really struggling now in the 21st century now that information is widely available and you can with just a few clicks on google completely debunk uh huge swathes of uh, jehovah's witness uh, indoctrination mm-hmm. and i think youtube in particular has been uh, very damaging to groups like jehovah's right. witness right. and if you think about the first youtube video only being uploaded as recently as 2005 uh, it's still a very, very recent thing yeah, yeah. It, in terms of debunking um, harmful ideologies and mm-hmm. uh, organizations that perpetuate abuse. Uh, yeah. It really has been a game changer. Right, right. So if somebody was listening to this episode and they're like, you know what, um, this is something that I'm considering, maybe there's some not so good things happening in the Jehovah's Witness group. I'm not sure about that. What would you say would be like your first recommendation to them? I mean, number one, good job for listening to information that's outside of, you know, what you've been, you know, sort of allowed or told to listen to. But like, what would be next steps for somebody to kind of explore some of those things you said are easily debunked? 
Well, my first advice would be don't take for granted what I'm saying and mm. uh, don't just don't just give me the benefit of the doubt. Do yeah. your own research. It's all yeah. there waiting for you. Uh, you don't need to spend a load of money on books or anything. Right. Um, there's a great resource in the form of jwfacts.com which has an, an, an excellent rundown of some of the main scandals and some of the main topics that you need to be aware of. Uh, but first and foremost, the most important resource for debunking the indoctrination that you've been given is actually the organization's own books. It's all in the organization's own books. And mm. this is where the organization differs from apostates uh, because the organization accuses apostates like me of lying. Um, mm. All I'm trying to do is give people both sides of the argument. I'm not right. saying only listen to what I have to say right. and don't listen to what the organization has to say. I'm saying listen to both what the organization says and what I say and reach your own conclusions. Because it turns that. out that when you read the organization's own literature, it's mm -hmm. all in there. You know right. where to look. Right. Yeah. I, I felt something very similar um, when I was kind of coming to grips with like, wow, they really don't treat women very well in my church. I mean, I kind of knew that, but, um, you know, there were, of course, anecdotal stories and things that I'd experienced and seen others experience, but you're right, just that, that researching of the literature, there were some things that I was shocked to hear, um, like just in books, you know, um, like I think one of the things um, my grandfather had suggested for our a book we read for premarital counseling. That was a joy. Gosh. <laughs> um, but, There's a story there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was just, mm. uh, but there was a book called Intended for Pleasure. And in one of the um, first chapters, um, I would have to look up the exact quote, but it basically said something to the effect of like the wife um, gives her freedom in exchange for her husband's love. And I was like, whoa, that's really messed up. And, you know, people are like, oh, it's not really all that bad and all that stuff. But when you actually- I wonder if a man wrote character. that. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Um, but, you know, people would, they try to soften it a lot of times in the sermons and in the face-to-face -face conversations. But you're right, when you actually look at some of the literature from these groups, like it's very blatant, you know, it's not hidden, it's right there. Um, and so, yeah, I love that you kind of give like a website to go to, what was it, JW Facts to kind of see one perspective, but yeah, go and take a look at the literature that's there. And um, I think that that is, I talk a lot about intuition and I just encourage people when you, don't know which direction to turn like try to get quiet and listen to both sides but then remove some of the noise and really like dig deep and see what what is your gut telling you about this information does something not seem right in one of these perspectives and then ask why and kind of keep digging that's yeah so so um important and i'd i'd really like to ask you if i may about your excommunication experience or your shunning experience. Um, I think sometimes that word shunning can, some people can have like this idea of, you know, either something super extreme 
or it can be sort of just like getting ghosted. And people get ghosted online all the time and it's just like, oh, they're not talking to me anymore. But what does that actually mean in the Jehovah's Witness group and the religion? What does it mean to be shunned, to be excommunicated? What was that experience like for you? Um, and why might people be afraid you know, to go through that shunning process? Well, it's an ongoing experience. That's that's okay. the thing. It, okay. it never stops. Um, wow. It's not wow. like, right, you've been shunned and then you can talk about it in the past tense. Um, gotcha. it, an ongoing thing. I, I literally do not have my father in my life, even mm. though he's still alive, because mm. he's treating me as though I don't exist because wow. I no longer share his beliefs. And it should just be noted that when I speak against shunning, I'm not saying that uh, people shouldn't have the right to block out toxic people from sure. their lives. Boundaries I mean, are that, good. <laughs> that's, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a decision we all need to make for ourselves. But what I, where I do draw the line uh, is organizations mandating their followers to not speak mm -hmm. to family members just on ideological grounds, just because they go against what the leaders say. And that's what's happening right. with Jehovah's Witnesses. So they okay. produce highly manipulative um emotionally coercive video propaganda um telling for example parents to shun their children there's even one video where the girl is trying to ring her mother and father and they can see on the caller id on their phone who mm. it is and they refuse to pick up the phone uh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, anything anything could be happening to their teenage girl uh, yeah. at that precise moment um Eight. and yet the as an act of loyalty to the organization right. they feel as though they can't pick up the phone so right. that's the that's the scale of the shunning and as mm. we discussed on the aftermath special it also has profound psychological um mm. impacts on some people some people are driven to suicide wow. because we are social people we we yeah, rely yeah. on social bonds and uh, you know there's a reason why um prisoners are put in solitary confinement it's because mm. it really screws with people's heads right. uh, so when when people are exactly when people are cut off from their loved ones mm. for no other reason than because they have gone against what the leaders have said or they've even started to doubt their leaders right. it really does mess with people and it can in some cases lead to suicide yeah yeah absolutely um that's that's really tragic. And before we go to a commercial break, I just want to ask you, like, if somebody uh, is in that experience right now where they're questioning, where they've gone and acted, but they're thinking of maybe taking a step forward and, you know, really cutting things off, you know, being a little bit more vocal, what do they need to know as far as like how to survive that? Because there are like you said, a lot of psychological repercussions for many people, you know, the depression, anxiety, all those types of things. What would you say helped you get through it to this point where you are now? And, you know, what would you recommend others, um, whether it's a support system or, you know, what what is that thing that people need um, when they're leaving to make sure they survive? Well, in my case, again, it was trying to reestablish my own sense of community, even if it was right. just inter interacting with people on online forums. Yeah. And that's another way in which the Internet's come to the rescue, of course, because, for example, on Reddit, there's a huge subreddit, XJW subreddit, with tens mm -hmm. of thousands of members. 
So you don't have to be alone anymore. You can, right. if you want, post a, a post on Reddit saying, mm-hmm. I'm feeling alone. Um, I'm, I'm, I've just started being shunned by my parents. Right. And you're going to get inundated with responses because yeah. people yeah. are going through that situation themselves or they've recently been through mm-hmm. that situation and they want to uh, help and support you. Yeah, yeah. And what about with like family? Like you're not connected with your family or at least your father, um, how do you create kind of a new sense of family? What is what is that like after leaving? I think it's just one of those things where they say time is a healer. Mm. Um, I think, especially when it comes to your parents, they occupy a place in your in your heart and your emotions that can't easily be filled by anything right. else. Right. But the more time passes, the more you kind of compensate emotionally by giving your love to others or by having have, calibrating your relationship so that it doesn't hurt as much as it did to begin with. So I would just say time is a healer. Um, after a while, it will get easier. It will never be as good as it probably would be if there was no shunning taking sure. place necessarily. But I'm a firm believer that you create your own family and mm. your family should be people who love you unconditionally and not because you Uh, buy into some kind of group ideology that you're supposed to adhere to. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be right back um, for a few more questions. So there's choices that you have the opportunity to make. You can either stay with your abuser or you can leave. And make no mistake about it, it's gonna be hard either way you go. But I can tell you one thing for sure. If you do decide to make that courageous decision to go, there's hope, so much hope. And welcome back to the Courage 365 show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter, and I have been talking with Lloyd Evans all about his experience coming out of the Jehovah's Witness religion and the way he survived through the process of being shunned and excommunicated. Um, Thank you so much for um, being vulnerable with us and sharing what that process has been like and also for your um, activism work. I mean, this is this is serious stuff. Um, And, you know, before we kind of start wrapping up the interview, I know you mentioned JW Facts is a place to get some information about Jehovah's Witnesses that maybe the leaders don't really want publicized. But if somebody's in sort of a crisis situation where they're like, I really need to get out of this, I need some support, um, what what would you recommend they go to? I know you mentioned Reddit. Are there any Facebook groups or things um, that you would recommend people that they can reach out to? Well, since you're asking a direct question, because um, we're having to deal with lots of kind of refugees from the mm. Jehovah's Witness group um, at JW Survey, because obviously our, our website attracts a lot of people who are going yeah. through that stage of, of figuring out that they've been lied to and deceived and trying mm. to figure out what their family relationships will be. So we get lots of people reaching out to our support email address. And, and what we're, we're trying to provide support wherever we can, but we're only a small team of volunteers. Sure. 
whereas there is recovering recovering from religion um dot org uh, which has support volunteers and they they don't necessarily require you to get rid of religious belief entirely they're more right. into helping people uh, who are suffering due to abusive religious groups such mm -hmm. as Jehovah's Witnesses. So right. we tend to point people in that direction if they are in need of, let's say, a hotline that they can call yeah. where they can have a human voice on the end of the line to help them through what they're going through. That's so important. And we'll be sure to link to all those things uh, for everybody. And, you know, I think that brings up a really important point. You know, some people, when they experience things in different religious groups, they want to leave entirely. They don't want to have any connection to that religion. Maybe they switch religions or, you know, no religion at all, you know, any of those options. But then there's other people who would really like to maintain their faith, but in a more healthy format. And so I love that this hotline um, allows for all those options. And so we'll definitely be linking to that organization. Thank you so much. And um, out of, you know, all of your experiences, you've obviously learned a lot as an activist, as somebody who's left the church. Um, you've got all those books behind you, which some of it probably doesn't have good information in there, but I'm sure sometimes you've learned from bad None of it does. things, right? None of this <laughs> have good information in it. It's all rubbish. All of them? All JW oh books. Oh gosh, yeah. that's so many. Wow, you have like the whole library. Um, what What is the best piece of advice you have picked up um, from you know all your activism work? Well, on the other wall, I have non-JW books. And okay, some, that's good. <laughs> some of, the, the, those have been more helpful, I assume. <laughs> they've been more helpful, yeah. What, some of them are written by uh, uh, someone called Christopher Hitchens, and there's one quote okay. of his which I, I have actually framed on my wall, so I'm going to read it from the wall. Okay. Um, Never be a spectator of unfairness or stupidity. Seek out argument and disputation for their own sake, the grave will supply plenty of time for silence. And mm. particularly those last words resonate with me. Wow. Um, if you have something to say, if you have abuse to expose, the time to do it is now. Mm. Because when you're dead, you lose your opportunity. Uh, right. So use this window of, of life yeah. to speak out against injustice. And in, yeah. in my case, uh, rampant uh, institutional abuse. Right. Um, because if you don't, perhaps no one else will. So. Right, right. And you could be the catalyst for other people finding their courage to do that. Yeah, that's that's such excellent advice. I know everybody's going to want to follow your YouTube channel. I know you... Oh, I, I can't think of any reason why anyone wouldn't want to follow my YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can get connected with your work, your books, all the things. So the channel name is John Cedars. Um, the reason it's called John Cedars is because that was the pseudonym I worked under when I was still incognito trying to mm. avoid shunning. Um, I have my books on Amazon, How to Escape from Jehovah's Witnesses and The Reluctant Apostate. The Reluctant Apostate is much thicker, but it's written for a non-JW audience, whereas mm. How to Escape is literally written for Jehovah's Witnesses right. who need to escape. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that's pretty much uh, where you can find me. I'm also on Twitter. If you search for the name Lloyd Evans, you should find a number of people and one of them will be me. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate you sharing. We'll definitely 
put those links and details um, in the show notes for people. And uh, yeah, such a pleasure having you on the show. An absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ashley. And everybody, I would also welcome you to go to the Courage 365 social media. Um, We've got Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And we would love for you to subscribe on our YouTube channel. We are trying to grow our YouTube channel. Um, And so please go ahead and subscribe there. Like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter because we do these live shows every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And you will not want to miss a single episode. We have so many great guests that are going to be lined up for you in the future. Uh, Thank you all so much for watching. And of course, you can go to courage365.org. If you need help, you can click our need help tab with a list of hotlines and resources for you for just about any type of uh, religious abusive experience you can think of. There are blogs and supportive websites there. And just for coming to our website, we have a free ebook for you that is five keys to living a life of courage. That's to uh, really support people who are coming out of abusive environments. As always, thank you for watching the Courage 365 show. Live with courage this week.